So it's very appropriate also on this uh, joyous occasion that we continue with our sermon series, Knowing God, with the second part on our explorations of the Holy Trinity and what it means really for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ. So initially, I wanted to preach from Matthew chapter 28, but the Lord has guided me through circumstances to focus on Psalm 133 and then Philippians chapter 2. Nevertheless, I shall still read Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, before I read the other two passages. So let me now read the word of God to all of us, Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we have here very quickly the baptismal formula, which you will hear later on in the baptism service, to baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So we're just following the commands of Jesus as we have the ritual of baptism. And now Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, with any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, they make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray together. Father, we thank you once again for our brothers and sisters in Christ who this day throughout all the three services will declare their allegiance to you. Father, as we go through the ritual later on, as we hear the word of God preached, we pray, O Lord, that truly you will help us to be your faithful disciples, to become like you in every way, and especially when you talk about life in one community. And so commit this sermon, the preacher, into your loving hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who missed uh, last week's uh, sermon, very quick recap. Last week we learned that the Trinity always operates as one. Even though each person of the Trinity plays a different role, all of them always operate with one common purpose and they operate together as one unit. Second thing we learned is that we should imitate them even if we don't fully understand the mystery. How is it that we have three persons but only one God and not three gods? So over the centuries, many people have tried to use analogies to try to describe this trinity, right? This holy trinity. Uh, nonetheless, as analogies, they always fall short in one way or another. But theologians down the centuries have agreed to a very simple diagram to try to explain what the holy trinity is and is not. So this is also up on our Instagram page and our Facebook. In case you don't know, you are not following us on social media, please follow us on social media. So I took this diagram of our social media, our church's uh, social media. So this diagram basically illustrates to us that the Father is not the Son and is not the Holy Spirit. They are distinct persons. But yet, at the same time, all of them together, we see them as God. The Son is God, the Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So while we may not be able to fully use any analogy to describe who the Trinity is, this simple diagram, every theologian, every church agrees. All right, So they are co-eternal, co-equal, and co-powerful. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But again, if you don't fully understand the mystery, that's okay. As I also shared last week, it's more important to imitate the Trinity. And I want to quote again Christopher Moleka, the African theologian. I think we have problems understanding the Holy Trinity because we approach the mystery from the wrong side. 
the intellectual side is not the best side to start with. We try to get hold of the wrong end of the stick and it never works. The right approach to the mystery is to imitate the Trinity. God does not reveal himself to us for the sake of speculation. He's not giving us a riddle to solve. He's offering us life. He's telling us, this is what it means to live. Now begin to live as I do. What is the one and only reason why God revealed this mystery to us if it is not to stress that life is not life at all unless it is shared? So sharing of lives together, that is, what, that is the essence of the Trinity, to share life together. And that is why and how we should live as a Christian community, sharing and doing life together. And that's why pastors, I think many of you are always happy at baptism and Kareem services because these occasions are very clear expressions of our brothers and sisters in Christ who embrace the biblical commands not only to be baptized but also to commit to a local church community. You know, frequently pastors are asked, should I be baptized? Or maybe for some, should I be confirmed? And I usually ask them in return, why would you not want to be baptized? Is there a reason you do not want to be baptized or cannot be baptized? So baptism is really the clearest expression of our commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to declare our allegiance to Him. Even non-Christians know the significance and the importance of baptism. And I was a teenager, I come from a non-Christian family, I shared with you before. I was reluctantly allowed to go to church, but my aunties, they always told me not to get baptized. Because for them, that means I cross over, right? So some of you with similar background, you understand. So even non-Christians understand the power and the significance of baptism. And so again, my question to those who ask this question, should I be baptized? I ask them, why would you not be baptized? Of course, I understand there are definitely some of us here who face very difficult personal circumstances. If that's you, I encourage you to continue to pray, pray for God to make a way. But we want to obey the commands of Jesus to be baptized. Now, it's the same really with membership. Sometimes as pastors, we are told, I don't want to become a member. Maybe that's how some of you think. Huh? And again, I will always turn the question on its head. Why would you not want to become a member? Just like, why would you not want to be baptized? Why would you not want to become a member? Almost always, the answer is because membership is a human institution. It's part of a human institution. It's not commanded in Scripture. So they try to elevate it, uh, to bring in Bible, say there's no such thing. <laughs> so my answer to them is yes, membership is not written explicitly in the Bible, but clearly it's an expression of who God is. And this Holy Trinity series is really to help us see that a God who is first of all committed to each other as Trinity and fully committed to His covenant people. And so being part of this membership, it's really to reflect who God is. Secondly, while it's true that membership is really a human design of an institution, we mustn't forget that God is the one who instituted the church. While it's a human institution, it is not purely a human institution because it is the Holy Spirit who instituted the church. And the institution of the church is necessary to prevent heresies. As an example, we require all Methodist pastors, right track here, to go to a reputable theological school. And here in Singapore is TDC, Trinity Theological College. Not just to learn and study you know, how to teach the Bible better. That's one part of our curriculum. But we also learn what are the heresies in history, in church history, all these 2,000 years, so that we are equipped to know how to combat these heresies. And I can tell you, there are still heresies circulating out there. And so that's why we go to a proper theological schools, uh, school to learn all these things so we can probably, you know, properly guide all of you 
in the word of God, truth of God. So to reject the institution of the church, I think at best, you are misguided. <laughs> but at worst, it's foolish. To forget and ne- neglect the institution of the church is not the right way to go. In fact, uh, I always tell people, to become a Methodist member has very few privileges, but a lot of responsibilities. <laughs> it's totally different from joining a social club, where there are a lot of privileges and very few responsibilities. For us, the church is the opposite. Very few privileges and a lot of responsibilities. The membership vow says, for better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Eh, sorry, sorry. Wrong vows. <laughs> Those are marriage vows. Only Pastor Mihi caught it. <laughs> But seriously, we may not use those words, but I deliberately made this mistake because actually that's what the membership vow really is about too. It's about commitment to a local church community. It's about staying true and loyal to the church, except that we specify certain action as expressions of our loyalty to uphold the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. So those are the explicit words, as you will see later on in the ritual, that we commit to uphold the church by our prayers, by our presence, our gifts, and our service. So it's important that we continue to worship together physically now that the pandemic is slowly easing down, to continue to worship God together as a faith community by our presence. Now this is not to say, however, that God cannot call you out to another faith community. And later on, we have some of our sisters transferring in from another faith community. But whether you go to another church or not, it's important that this whole process is always undergirded by prayer, by deep conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not a one person make the decision for yourself. That's not a way to move from one local church to another. Whether you like the pastor or not, that's totally not part of the consideration if you are deciding for yourself. It's always a process to pray together with others because you're committed to a faith community. Ask them to discern alongside if God is indeed calling you to one place or another. To leave the church because you're offended or angry, I say here, it is not a valid sign. It's not a valid sign that God has called you out. It's the same with our natural families. We don't just stop being family members because I'm upset with one of them, right? Sure, due to sin, fallen human nature, different personalities, we all need to learn how to resolve conflicts. We all need to know, you know how to work things out. And these can be very draining. We all know, understand that. But still, God has made it very clear. He's not given us a license to happily quit whenever we feel like it. That's not how we're supposed to do church. And the same goes with marriage. We don't just quit, you know, in the fit of anger. That's not how we're supposed to live as married couples and certainly not how we're supposed to live as the church community as well. Because ultimately, if you ask me, baptism and membership are just akin, very much alike to being married. One can be in a relationship you can easily be in a relationship and not get married, correct? Yes, you can. You can even cohabitate, live together and not get married. One can even argue that marriage is a human institution. Or they confess that they get married simply because they want to get a BTO. <laughs> Many reasons you can justify, whatever, right? But ultimately, marriage is a symbol between Christ and His church. That's why, as a church, we uphold the sanctity of marriage. Where did this unswerving loyalty and commitment from Christ come from? I believe it came from the Trinity. That God was fully committed to each other right from the beginning, before time was even created, 
and they will always be committed to each other. Again, we need to understand God doesn't need us as human beings, whether it's our worship, our money, our time, our service, or even the church, because God exists eternally and happily as Trinity. There is no lack of love within the Trinity that He had to create human beings, you know, so that He can be happier. No, no. God is not like that at all. It is His nature to always do and share life together. And now He has given to us, because we are made in His image, to follow likewise, to do and to share life together. Again, if you look at the membership vows, some of you may be thinking to yourselves, okay, I've done all these things as a regular worshipper. And I've been regularly worshipping here for 10 years even. Why should I become a member? Again then, my question is, if you are already doing all these things, fulfilling the membership vows, what's stopping you from becoming a member? If you are already here worshipping with us for so long, what's stopping you from becoming a member? If your concern, for example, is that the local church is paying conference commitment on your behalf, <laughs> in case you don't know, uh, for every member we pay the track annual conference, a certain co- conference commitment fee, and that collection actually goes on to pay all the staff employed by track, which includes the pastors, the Christian ministry staff in schools, as well as the admin staff in the track HQ office. And so we, com- we do commit a conference commitment fee for every member that is on our record. But I want to say here that I've been here 11 years and the church leadership has never once complained about the conference commitment. Never once. And so the church leadership understands that we are Ubuntu. (laughs) I am because we are. We are only one of 21 track churches. But we see ourselves as one family, one big family. And God has always supplied all our needs through your generous contribution. So God has always supplied our needs. And so if you're worried about paying confidence commitment fee, please don't. <laughs> What's stopping you from becoming a member? Now let me sidetrack a little to say why it's so tedious to become a member here at Amokyo Methodist Church. Again, a very common question uh, asked to the pastors. Maybe some of you have moved about in certain churches a little bit and then you always wondered, wow, this Amokyo, uh, so difficult to become a member. Maybe some of you wanted, you know, really wanted to become members, but you find the requirements very daunting. Now, let me say that it's intentionally set up that way. Eh? <laughs> sorry, but not sorry. Eh? <laughs> first of all, we first requirement, you must attend the worship services for at least six months. So why do we ask for that? It's because we believe you need time to discern. It's not popular with a church. Eh? <laughs> you, you like certain people or whatever, you just come for one week, two weeks, then you decide to become members. No. We don't want that kind of situation. We want all of you as much as possible to experience the church life in its life and cycle. And I think six months is a reasonable time frame. Ideally, it should be longer, but at least you know, compromise a bit six months. Second, the baptism membership course is long. It's 10 weeks plus two retreats, two full-day Saturday retreats. And all are ideally conducted face-to-face. If the pandemic doesn't stop us, we have love to conduct it face-to-face all the time, never through Zoom. And it's not so much to just ground us in the proper Christian foundation. That's important. But more important for us, actually, is for you to journey as part of a Christian community. And that's why the process is long. Because we believe very firmly that it's important to be part of a Christian community. It's not just knowing in your head what is the right thing. No, it is part of a Christian community. So it's our firm belief, following John Wesley, you cannot grow in holiness alone. And so we need really brothers and sisters in Christ, so-called social holiness, to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, to become more like Him. 
Coming together in this time and age after the pandemic really is not always safe. Neither is it always expedient, right? After all, you can easily save time by not coming. You can just meet via Zoom. You can minimize risk of falling, for example, for the elderly. And let me say here, I'm also not against Zoom or hybrid meetings. I think there is a place for that. But as a church, we still uphold certain traditions because we believe sacrifice is also an important part of commitment. How can you be committed to something and never make any sacrifices? Something is not right. A relationship that is you know, concerned with only how much you take, receive. Wow, that is not really a good relationship, right? If we deeply reflect on the Trinity, again, it's this self-giving love, humble service, being committed to each other. That is what ultimately sustains and preserves a relationship, whether it's for your marriage, you know, for your own families, or the church. It's the same principle because we are made in the image and likeness of God. It is from here then, I want to pick up and move into the other two Bible passages, Psalm 133. I will just read uh, verse 1 and 3 this time. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And in verse 3, For there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life forevermore. Why does God bestow blessing and life? Or in some other Bible versions, they say, Command His blessings to come upon unity. Well, I believe it's because it reflects the triune God, the God who always lives together in unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, forever undivided. And so God's command on blessings are for those who reflect Him, are like Him, because He is blessed within Himself and He sees something that's made in His image and likeness. They reflect Him. Naturally, He will put His blessings on them. When we become like him, selfless, sacrificial, committed, loyal, naturally his favor and his grace will fall upon us. When we become like him in love, purity, holiness, righteousness, there will be no hindrance of sin. And with no hindrance of sin, when people live together in unity, of course, blessings will fall. It's a natural consequence. It's not a miracle formula. It's simply a natural consequence when there is godly unity. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 2. This passage jumped up to me as the verse of the day when I was referring to Bible Gateway to copy some Bible verses. And this was the verse of the day. And I felt that the Lord is impressing upon all of us this as well. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And so essentially, Apostle Paul here, I want to paraphrase, if we are encouraged by the fact that we are now united in Christ, now that we have experienced His comforting love for each of us individually, now that we share one common Holy Spirit, since we have experienced the tenderness, the compassion from God, then let us be like-minded. Because we all of us have experienced the same thing, we should share in the same tenderness and compassion of the same Spirit and of the same mind. Again, here is not rocket science or some magic formula. If we truly know God, you have received from Him, then naturally we will become like Him. For those of us who are engineers, for example, if the input is A, naturally the output must be A. <laughs> right? So, it's important we understand that if we have all experienced the same God, His grace and love for us, then we should share in this same grace and love with each other. Having said that, I'll be the first to confess you know, I have not perfected this. There are still many areas in my life that I need to work on about living together as a community. 
whatever I preach today, it doesn't mean I've perfected it, all right? But as Apostle Paul, we forget what is behind, we press on towards what is ahead, and we keep growing in love and unity. I simply preach the Word of God faithfully, and my prayer also is for God to empower me to live out His Word. Now, in all relationships that are successful and long-lasting, to learn from the Holy Trinity, a few ingredients are essential. And I will close this sermon really with these four very practical points, what it means to reflect the Trinity. These few areas, they form some kind of matrix. They are all interrelated in some way or another. Right? The first is value, valuing each other and honoring each other. Second is about authority, understanding the proper place of authority. Third, the, the place of teamwork. And then fourth, open communication. Let's return to the first point, valuing one another as equals. Honoring one another as equals. So that's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are equally God. No one is higher or lower. They honor and value each other as God. St. Augustine writes, The Father is God, the Son God, the Holy Spirit God. The Father is good, the Son good, the Holy Spirit good. The Father Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty. Yet, they are not three gods, or three good, or three Almighty, but one God, good Almighty, the Trinity itself. In this Trinity, there is an absolute equality. In divinity, the Father is not greater than the Son, nor are the Father and Son together greater than the Holy Spirit. Nor is any single person of the tree anything less than the Trinity itself. So how does this apply? It applies then, for example, in marriage. Men and women are equal in value because together we are created in the image of God. We turn to Genesis chapter 1. Men and women together is the image of God. So that gives us equality in value. In the family context, parents and children are also equal in value. Very hard for us to comprehend this and live it out, but that's the truth. We need to recognize that. Parents and children are equal in value because children are also created in the image of God. In church, for example, do you have any problems if a child comes and lay hands on you and pray for you? Most of us, some of us might struggle. Well, how come? Ah? But if you actually understand we are equal in value, it's the Holy Spirit who prays through each one, then why should we resist? Because we are all equal in value. Interactions with church, you know, in the, with others, whether in church or otherwise, we need to recognize that all human beings are created in the image of God. And therefore, all deserve equal treatment and respect. Racial prejudice, for example, you know, all this discrimination has no place once we understand Everyone is created with equal value in the eyes of God. And here I want to give a negative example of how a few of us in our midst have unfortunately not understood the value of honoring each other in the Lord. Like I said, uh, this is a few of us, a uh, majority of you, very good. But I still want to cite this negative example so that all of us can learn. The following example has happened several times to different staff working in the office. A church member calls the office and starts scolding accusing, demanding the staff to do certain things. But then when the same person talks to the pastors, the tone is very different. Wow, respectful, gentle. How can this be? <laughs> it shouldn't be like that. This is not the way. If you truly understand equality and honor, you cannot you know, be biased in the way you treat one person just because of a certain title. So if we truly again understand that we are all equally children of God, regardless of the position that we hold, whether we are pastor, staff, leader, or ordinary church members, and some of you unfortunately face it too, 
some of the ushers, wow, they tried to usher people, kind of scolded by the rest of the church members. Then they come to the pastor again, oh, okay, very nice. How can this be? We cannot have preferential treatment towards some and being disrespectful towards others, especially if you consider someone lower in rank. In fact, if you ask me, it should be the opposite. The way you treat those who are lower really shows whether you understand value and honor. It's not how you treat those who are higher. It's how you treat those who are lower that really determines whether you understand value and honor and whether you're reflecting God as holy trinity. So by extension of the same principle, don't just think it happens in church. Think about your workplaces. Do you have vastly different treatments between your boss and your colleagues or those subordinates? If the boss, you say, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. But then to the subordinates, wow, like machine gun. Then something is wrong. You have not understood what it means to be a believer, to be a follower in Christ. All right? So once we understand Trinity, the first thing that changes is the way we value and honor and treat each other. But yet at the same time, second point, we need to understand there is a proper place for authority and hierarchy. Yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are equally authoritative, but yet there is a defined, clearly defined hierarchy. The Spirit submits to the Son, or for some traditions, and the Father, right? Spirit and Father, while the Son submits to the Father. All are equal, but yet there is a hierarchy. So likewise, then the Bible says many times in, for example, Ephesians, children, submit to your parents. Just as wives submit to the husbands, because we all submit to Christ. So while we're all equal in value, there is still a hierarchy for the proper functioning of society and families. It is never meant to be a display of power, superiority, those in power. You're not supposed to display any of these. From a biblical point of view, God's authority is always exercised firmly, but yet lovingly. Not abusive, not manipulative, not trying to lord it over others just because you're in charge. So again, just a couple of examples you can extrapolate for yourselves. Husbands, your authority is given by God as a spiritual head to protect, to love, to serve your families, your wives, not to force them to do your will. <laughs> that's not the authority that is given to you for. Again, for bosses, your authority is given by God to protect, to provide for those who are under you, not for you to enslave people to your agenda. <laughs> that is not how the kingdom works. Work is designed by God to provide both dignity and destiny. And so once we understand that, this is a whole topic sermon in itself, but work really is designed by God to give dignity and then destiny. So we are got to partner with God too. How can we shape those under us to fulfill God's purposes for them? So as Christians, we need to live very differently from the world. Give you many other, some other examples. The police authority is not given to them to anyhow fire gun at people, right? but it's to protect. The firemen have authority to come into a house to put out a fire. You cannot say, I'm not going to let you come to my house, block the door, even though there's a fire. No, but they have authority to come in because they are here to save. Lawyers have authority to defend. Doctors and nurses have authority to, to administer treatment. And again, I hear stories. Some, doc, they treat the doctors very nicely. Then, but if you're a nurse, oh, how can this be? It's not just in the sphere of the church. It's all of life. Right? You go to a big restaurant, oh, very nice to them. You go to the hawker center, how can this be? So we need to understand there's an authority and hierarchy given for proper functioning. 
And for those of us in authority, I pray for God to give us that wisdom to lead wisely. You can disagree. You can always disagree with the leadership, but you can never do it in a way that is disrespectful. You gently raise your comments or disagreement, but at the end, you have to submit to the leadership. Third, in the area of teamwork, again, the three of them, the three persons of the Trinity, they play different roles, but one common operation. The Father originates, it is accomplished through the Son, and then perfected through the Holy Spirit. Different roles, but they are fully united. There's diversity, but they are not uniform. And so it is with the church as well. All of us, we have diverse gifts, but let us be united. If you have one common Holy Spirit, let us work together with one spirit and one mind. As I shared in my sermon last week, as a naval diver during Hell Week, we use our strengths to cover up other people's weaknesses. We don't use our strengths to laugh at other people. Ah, yeah, why are you so lousy in this area? That's how the world operates, right? But not us as Christians. We are to live differently. We use our strengths to benefit those who are weak. So each of us, once we are secure, we are confident in our strengths. The person that God has made us to be, let us use our strengths well. Steward them well to help those who are weak. And we gratefully accept help from others when we are weak. Ah, you help me now because this is not my strong area. I'm glad to have your support. Being grateful to receive help for some of us, unfortunately, it's not easy. <laughs> we have been so strong leading all the time. And sometimes it's good also to recognize, hey, I can't do this area. Please help me. So again, teamwork, very important. You can apply it again to all your circumstances in life, in church, in your own families, right, in your workplaces, wherever you are. Teamwork, important. And then finally, in the area of open communication. So related to value, authority, teamwork is really good communication. Honest, open communications. I want to say here that it's not just about verbal communication, the words that you say. I think we probably know this, you know, all those who teach in this area tell us, good communicators tell us that the tone of voice you use, the non-verbal cues, they constitute at least 70% of the way you communicate. It's not just the words you say, but how you say it matters. And my son often reminds me of this. Papa, why are you so fierce towards me about my homework? Oh, okay, okay. I, okay, son, can you do your homework, you know, that thing? Versus, do your homework, you know. Same words, right? But the tone of voice matters a lot. So again, we all know this in our own family context, especially how vital, open, and honest communication is. It's not just the words you say, but how you say it matters. Once communication break down, uh, breaks down, the, the marriage really will also begin to be destroyed and break down. Good communication is always very important as well when it comes to conflict resolution. How do we listen to one another, so and so forth. Again, this is a whole topic by itself. So I'm just laying for you the broad picture here. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are always in communication with each other. I shared this last week through the Bible verses. I won't repeat myself. Whatever the Father does, the Son sees it. There's communication in that way, right? The Son sees it and then does it. And then what? He receives he passes on to the Spirit, and the Spirit passes on to all of us. So obviously, there is perfect communication within the Holy Trinity. So time really does not permit me to explain any more than what I have given to you, a very broad framework, right? a matrix of what it means to live together as a community for yourselves, for your families, and for all places, and as a church community. So let me just summarize. Knowing God as Trinity has tremendous implications for all our Christian lives. First of all, it means we must be committed to a local church faith community, our spiritual family, to share our lives together, 
Ubuntu. I am because we are. Every time we gather, we are the kingdom people gathering for a kingdom purpose. We gather in the area of assembly so that we can be sent out by God to our areas of operation. We learn that in our Together Conference. right? And then the membership vows, we continue to uphold the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. So we share life together. That's the first thing we must be committed to a local church community. Second, we imitate the Trinity in the way they relate to each other, in the way they honor and value each other, in the way they have, you know, submit to each other's uh, to the authority that is assigned, in the way they work together as a team and have good and open communication. So again, this has implications not just in the way we relate to one another here in church, but also in our families, workplaces, and even the strangers on the street. Now finally, I just want to end again by reminding all of us, the way we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is a powerful witness to the world. The way we love one another is a powerful witness to the non-Christian world. One of the main reasons, again, why the early church in Acts 2 wants so many converts is because they were so filled by the Holy Spirit. They had this selfless love for each other. They were so united in Christ. They really cared for each other. And that really won the the non-believers into the faith community. So as we close, I have chosen uh, Make Us One, invite the music team to come up. This song, uh, we sang this song relates to church as well, some years ago. I chosen this song, Make Us One, as our response song. May the song you know, serve really as our collective prayer to God. Come, let us pray. Lord, we thank you once again. You have revealed yourself as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Always united in love. Father, we pray truly as we sing this song, you will make us one. For all our weaknesses, we pray by your Holy Spirit, help us to overcome. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.